welcome to Life with Ed, the podcast. I'm Julia Worth, your host, a registered dietitian in New Haven, Connecticut. And I'm really excited to welcome you to episode seven of our second season uh, focused on parents. Today is <laughs> definitely all for parents. Um, it's about family systems. So today on the podcast, I'm welcoming Hannah. She is a family systems therapist from Strategic Solutions in Milford, Connecticut. She is going to talk all about how really addressing the family system and any things that are not working or sort of off in the family system can tackle the eating disorder or really any other mental health condition and be an incredible um, and necessary component of care. So I learned a lot listening to her because I really just found out about family systems work. I've always heard about family therapy and that is not this. So hopefully you'll learn something too. Before we get to the episode, I just wanted to say if anyone has any questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions for future episodes, please email me at W-E-R-T-H, your while nutrition, that's worth your while nutrition at gmail.com. Um, next week, we are going to have a pretty special episode. It's actually a recording of one of my parent program um, sessions. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear that. So two great episodes back to back. So without further ado, here is Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Welcome to the show. Hi, Julia. It's good to be here. How are you? I'm good. Uh, thanks for taking time on your Monday. Um, so I just want you to tell my listeners a little bit about you. I've never had a family systems therapist on the show. So explain like what that even is, how you got into it, and then um, we're, we'll go from here. Yeah. So I am a marriage and family therapist. I graduated from Fairfield University recently, and I am a clinician at Strategic Solutions Therapy in Milford. Um, and I first became interested in marriage and family therapy when I was applying to grad school. Um, I had been working in athletics for a long time, so I had had a lot of exposure to families and kids in a lot of different capacities and observing different kinds of dynamics and relationships. And I had thought for a long time that I wanted to work with kids. And I do, that is a, a big part of what I do. But as I started to research and figure out a little bit more of what I wanted to do, the theory behind uh, marriage and family therapy just made sense to me. Um, looking at the family as a whole, um, looking at the family as a unit and the dynamics of the dynamics of how um, everybody interacts with each other and, and how the family works as a unit really, it just made a lot of sense to me. And so um, as soon as I figured out all of that, I knew it was the track for me. That's really cool. I, I think so much of therapy is portrayed as like one person sitting in a room yeah. with one other person, right? Mm -hmm. And like sort of this secret almost conversation um, that may or may not apply when they get back to their general life. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like family systems therapy is very different from that. Yes, family systems uh, therapy is definitely different from individual therapy in a few different ways. Um, family systems therapy is all about looking at the and understanding the dynamics of the family as a unit. Um, so individual therapy often looks at the one person, the identified patient, so to speak, um, and the problems that they have and the problem that they are, but not necessarily the way the family and people within that person's system are impacting the problem and the way that problem is also impacting the system. Mm -hmm. And so that's really the, 
the work that I get to do. Um, in families struggling with an eating disorder, the primary concern is how the parents have the influence and authority to help their child. That's the main focus of the work that I do, especially with um, younger clients, like clients who are in their teens and adolescents. Um, and by the time families find themselves in my office, it's, it's usually because the child and the eating disorder have become way too powerful in the household um, and parents um, have become unsure of how to support their child and also have the parental authority that they really need to have in order to help their child in recovery as much as they really need. Um, while also maintaining a loving and connected relationship with their child and the other kids in the household. And so that's, that's why it's so important that I get everybody in the room and I get to see the big picture of that, of that dynamic. Yeah. When I first like realized that family therapy was a thing, I was so jealous as a dietitian because I often get parents to come to session at some point, but it's like about the kid. Mm -hmm. And even if the kid doesn't have an eating disorder, it can turn into this sort of like, well, you need to do that kind of thing to the like child. And it's like, well, food is such a whole family thing. Um, you know, it's not, not everybody's cooking for themselves in most families. So I think it's so great that, um, more and more people are reaching out to, to family therapists. Um, could you explain a little, since a lot of my listeners either have a kid who's in eating disorder treatment or have been in eating disorder treatment themselves, how is what you do different from just like a family session? You know, cause a lot of times mom or dad might go to the child, like regular therapist for a family session, but how is what you do different from that? Mm -hmm. So the difference with sessions that I have is I bring in as, as many members of, of the family as I can. Um, and that includes siblings. As long as it's age appropriate, um, I like to bring in siblings as much as possible. Um, eating disorders don't just develop overnight. Many different scenarios and, and dynamics contribute to how an eating disorder develops. So I need access to as many members of the system as possible to get all of the information about how different members of the family engage with each other and engage with their world and engage with all the symptoms that are happening in the household as well. Um, the eating disorder also influences everybody in different ways. Everyone is connected. So the more that I get to see it playing out rather than just hearing about it from one person, it makes the world of a difference. Um, I think one of the other really, really big differences between individual therapy um, and family sessions with an individual therapist versus the, the systemic work that I do is that we don't just talk about feelings for the sake of talking about feelings. Um, we talk about the way feelings influence behavior and then how behavior, behavioral patterns can influence feelings. So um, if we talk about recovery, it can be really challenging for someone to just feel ready and they have all of these thoughts and um, it's really hard to just feel optimistic about, I don't know, gaining weight and increasing your meal plan or maintaining a meal plan that's already really hard for you and encountering body changes and all those things. Um, and it's really easy to get stuck when you're just talking about feelings um, because they can't be changed just by talking mm -hmm. about them. It takes a lot of time. And in that time, what really needs to happen is behavioral change. And so we focus on behavior and then the emotional change will follow. So one thing that you have said, and not just in this podcast, but talking to you before is, you know, that we're looking at the whole family system and how the eating disorder like developed in there and impacts all of it and everything. And that's something that um, most of my listeners know. I had an eating disorder as a child and 
I, as, as like everyone in eating disorder treatment did, I feel like not everyone, but just so many providers, right. Had, had some experience with it as a kid. Um, and I remember being told like, oh, this is not just your issue. It's like a family issue. And my parents like really rejecting that notion, um, understandably, because they were being told like, you know, it's not, not just her issue, like it's everybody's problem. And like, maybe they didn't want another problem, you know, on the list. But I hear that from parents of my uh, clients all the time, right? Like, well, this is, you know, a patient's issue. This is B patient's issue, not my issue. So how do you sort of bridge that gap with families? Because I could see it in session getting a little contentious, um, potentially. Yeah, I think that that sometimes families come to a therapist or come to a provider, they come to a nutritionist and they want you to fix their kid. Yeah. Um, Because because they don't, and and usually it's just because they are exhausted. Um, It is really painful and really challenging to watch your child struggle. Mm -hmm. And when you don't believe that you have the resources to help and support your child in the way they need, it's really, I think, intuitive to take your hands off and give that problem to someone else and ask them to fix it for you. Yeah. Um, when you're addressing an eating disorder with your kid, a lot, none of it's going to, to feel intuitive. It's not going to make sense. And the patterns that have contributed to that eating disorder are also going to be really hard to break. And so parents don't always want to look at that stuff, not because they are actively resistant, but just because they're tired. Yeah. Um, and so when we address that during session, we, we reinforce that as parents, the kids need, your kid needs you, your kid needs you to be stable. Your kid needs, if there are two parents, you need to be a united front. Um, and that can, that will be the strongest force against the eating disorder. And that will also provide this sense of stability for not only your, your sick child, but also other children in the house. Mm-hmm. And that will impact the whole house, the whole dynamic. Um, when given time and when, when there's patience in the process. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the like, you know, starting tools or, or tips that you give families to start working towards that more united front uh, against this eating disorder? Um, it's, it's really hard because it, it's kind of like one, it has to be one big jump a lot of the time, right into different behaviors. And like I said, none of it's intuitive. So it's, there's kind of a learning curve to figuring out how to work differently. Um, you know, some of the things that, you know, we've talked about is for example, uh, parents taking over plating and full control of food. Um, if one person, and we see this a lot, sometimes one parent will be managing care for the kid just because that's the, that's what they figured out has worked household. But sometimes it, we're suddenly asking parents to shift care management and, and sharing information and responsibility with a partner who, not that they're not interested, but just, they haven't been involved in that capacity. And so it takes, it requires a lot of trust. Um, sometimes, sometimes some blind faith in the other, because they don't have evidence that it'll work yet. Mm -hmm. Um, but they have to have blind, blind faith in each other and blind faith in the process that this can be effective if, if only they work together. That's really interesting just in terms of like switching. I never thought about like, you know, asking the other parent to take on that role. Do you see that working for families a lot of times? 
Yeah, because I don't think that it's we're necessarily asking one parent to completely take their hands off and hand over all the responsibility to the other parent because that won't work either, right? Like that's not collaborative. That's not collaborative. That's not um, sharing the 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 load of of the stress that an eating disorder brings into a family. Rather, what we're asking is truly just that that the load is shared, that the responsibility is shared. Um, You know, we're also asking that when it gets really hard that you lean on each other um, rather than letting that, the anxiety that comes from watching your child struggle bleed out into interactions with the kid, use each other to support um, behind the scenes and in front of the kid. Um, It's going to come out in different ways, but your partner can and really must be your main, your, your main support because they, they've been watching this for so long. So they're as much of an expert as you are. Um, it just, it's just a matter of trusting each other and, um, changing things up a little bit. So now I want to switch gears a little to like looking at it from the provider's perspective. And and I've asked you this about particular patients that we share, but you know, when I'm in session with a client or a therapist, like a one-on-one therapist is in session with a client, we only have that one person's view Mm -hmm. and we just, we can play devil's advocate, but we don't really know what's going on in, in the household. And we're like, okay, sure. This person's telling me that. Got it. But you have the whole family there. So I'm so interested into like, how does that go with, with getting the different stories in real time? And then how do you even determine what's real or does it even matter to know what's real? When it comes to knowing what's real, I can only work with what I have access to. Um, right. which is why it's so important that I do have as many people Uh, in the room as possible. This allows me to have a bigger picture from more perspectives about who does what in the family when things get really hard. Um, Sometimes you do just meet with the individual, so you don't have the full scope, but when you have the full picture, I'm trained to observe a lot of different components of of family behavior. Um, So even if somebody is saying something, um, they might behave differently in session in a way that sends a different message. Um, so for example, like if a parent tells me that they and their partner are always on the same page, but they're in session, they're physically positioned like opponents, um, and they show really more rigidity and very little appearance of connection and affection. That's information for me. Mm -hmm. Um, that's information for me about how there's a little bit more of a disconnect than their willing to say, or even really capable of saying, because they might not even be aware of it yet. Um, And like I said before, that's not because people actively are, they're not actively out to deceive their therapist. They might, they might just not know that it's there yet. And that's my job to figure out, to see it and figure out how they can do things differently. Um, And this all comes back to, to, to feelings and emotions following behavioral change. Once they really start working as a team, more feelings of love and connection um, will follow. Okay. So really, yeah. so really it's, it's what they do that gives me the information. That's how I know what is real. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they're saying one thing, but they're you know sitting in a totally different manner or their tone of voice is different. Exactly. And the more that I get to know a family, the more that I can point those things out and we can make those challenges more talkable. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing since I know you do like parents only and then like the whole family or 
different combinations of family members, you probably see different, you know, reactions coming out depending on what the group is. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's kind of funny. We'll see, sometimes we'll get a couple in, in the room um, and they'll be sharing their experience of how things have, how things go when um, they try to support their child or their child is struggling. And then when we get the kids in the room, we get a different picture of what, of what happens. We get a bigger picture of what happens. Um, siblings also, again, they play a huge part in us understanding what happens and what needs to change. Kids also do, they kind of do a funny thing when, when you meet with them is that they'll accidentally, not intentionally, they'll, they'll accidentally kind of rat out their parents about how their parents are also struggling. Yeah. Um, and that can be really uncomfortable for parents. It can be really hard for hard to hear your kid very honestly say the way you react when they struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, but it's so important that I know that because again, I can't make it talkable if I don't know that it's happening. Yeah. And how can you help them if you don't know they have that problem, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And so the more, the more information I have, the more, um, we can talk about changing and then I send them home and they start implementing those changes. And then they come back the following week and we talk about how those changes are going and what is still difficult and what we need to adjust. And we, we work as a team to make it happen. So when you said like, you know, oh, a child might, you know, rat out their parents. I'm guessing like a lot of parents hear that and they're like, yeah, that's exactly why I never want to go to family systems therapy. Um, Mm -hmm. But it, to me, as soon as I learned that some families did this as part of eating disorder treatment, I was like, oh, that's the key to a lot of families actually recovering. Because what I see again and again is, you know, either a child gets, weight restored or at least to a much better place in residential or PHP. And then they come home and it's like failure because they're in the same environment. Or once they finally move out and are on their own, they're able to recover. But every time they go home for the holidays or something like that, they relapse. So I'm wondering, like, do you think family systems therapy is becoming more common um, in eating disorder treatment? And, And what role in team do you really play? I definitely think it's becoming, um, becoming more common. I think that it's, um, I think that my role is, is really figuring out how the dynamics within the whole system can start to shift because when you're exactly right, when people come home from residential or inpatient treatment, um, that's where some of the rel- their relapse rates are, are the highest because yeah, they're if if individuals who have just done all of this really hard work in this this bubble, right? Like an inpatient or residential, there it's like a bubble. But then when you go home, a lot of the time you're going back into an unchanged environment, and so change is really really hard once when when nobody else around you is changing. Um, and so it's my job to figure out how the eating disorder is functioning to maintain dysfunctional dynamics in the family, um, and then reroute the way families can manage those dynamics. So more like the active like behaviors, like you were saying, like, okay, this whole thing needs to shift a little if we're going to have any change. Exactly. Right. And especially when we're working with adolescents, um, if we only work with the identified patient, we're also relying on them to change in an unchanged environment. And that's really difficult. It's not impossible, but it's really hard. Um, yeah, 
We're it's up. insanely hard. Like just from my perspective with food, you know, it's like if family, like parents, siblings, whatever, are still all eating or acting around food the same way they have been, then how are you supposed to do anything differently? You know? Exactly. And when we're talking about um, family dynamics an eating disorder allows a child to be so incredibly powerful in their household. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and it, it's, it is crazy. And when we set, so if we send a child an adolescent into a household and ask them to do all of the work, ask them to make all of the changes, but we're not working with the family as a whole, we're maintaining this idea that that child needs to have this power to, to implement some sort of change or maintain some sort of dynamic in the household. And that's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. This child having too much power wasn't sustainable before, and it's not going to be sustainable now. And that's why family therapy works works toward sustainable change, not just with the patient, but with the family as a whole. Do you think there's like an age of child that it's like, this is too young or too old to get into family therapy, or is it applicable for all ages? I think it's applicable for all ages, whether, whether a child is five or a child is 15 or 17. Um, obviously the work that I do would be different, their involvement and it would be different. Um, but the family component of it remains the same. It'll, it would be all about redefining boundaries and, and challenging old patterns of behavior that aren't working, but are deeply ingrained in in everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, What about those like older than technically child? Like what if you have like a a 22 or 23 year old, like maybe they're living with you part-time because they're in college or something. Do those families benefit from family therapy too? Or is it just kind of this weird, they're kind of an adult transition mode? Absolutely. Families, um, if your family is a part of, of your recovery, then they, then this work is, is absolutely critical. Um, And when we talk about systems work, that doesn't necessarily just mean like your parents or your siblings. Yeah. That, can be, that can be anybody who is involved in your treatment, um, whether it's like a, a partner or a best friend or, or your husband or your wife, all of those um, people are really important. And so we would work to, to have access to all of them if we could. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like I first learned about family systems therapy in eating disorders when I had an adult woman patient who had kids and like she was in treatment with her in family systems treatment with her husband and her kids and that was like essential because you know she's affecting all of them right and it's not just kids that have eating disorders absolutely um so what would you say to parents or families you know because definitely siblings and and the kid with an eating disorder can be resistant to about like starting family systems therapy? Like what should they know and what should they um, expect or or not be too worried about? I think, well, I think what I would say they should expect is that um, I'm going to ask that I have access to as many people in your family as possible. And when I do that, everybody's behavior kind of becomes fair game for me. Um, I'm looking at everybody and, So I, you know, I think it would be, it's always beneficial if everyone comes in with an open mind, but that's not always, that's not always the case and that's okay. Um, But they would have to know that that would make 
progress just a little bit slower as we we begin to connect and they see a little bit more about how I work. And that comes back to kind of trusting the process and trusting the people in your system to make these changes, even though old patterns, like I said, old patterns, old behaviors die hard. Um, so it does take a lot of time and it is kind of a grueling effort to figure out um, how it's all going to, to make sense together. Um, I will say that family therapy does have the potential to open up a can of worms that families aren't necessarily ready to open. Mm -hmm. um, but whether you open it now while your kid is struggling or you open it three years from now, it's still there. And those, those old dynamics, those old things that underlie um, a lot of the different dysfunctional dynamics are going to come out at some point. It's just a matter of when. And so if we have the opportunity to do it now, why not do it now is, is something that I would say to, to many different varieties of families struggling. Do you have like a favorite or, or at least most impactful from your work experience so far moment in working with families? Hmm. Um, I do, I do. I have a couple that stand out, but I was recently, um, I was recently working with a family and um, the, the client had come in with just a, a lot of anxiety and the family was really struggling to figure out, the parents were really struggling to figure out how to support, support her. And so um, the family had, be, they shifted dynamics in a lot of different ways and the parents started working together differently. They addressed a lot of marital issues that were going on. I bet that's a lot of those can of worms that come out. That's what I was thinking. I was like, Ooh. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And especially with eating disorders, the eating disorder takes up all of your focus. So if there are mar marital problems, the eating disorder is going to distract you from it, but that doesn't mean they're still there. Mm -hmm. um, but with this other family that I had been working with, I was having my last session with this family after all of our work together had kind of concluded. And the daughter who, she had been very emotional throughout our work together. Like she would cry a lot during our sessions and not even when things were really hard to talk about. Like she was just a very tearful person, but the, the tone of that session was relatively upbeat and light. And she began crying while her parents were talking about the progress that she had made. And I asked her what was going on. What's, what's, what's coming up for you while your parents yeah. are talking. And she just said, um, I feel really relieved. Um, it wasn't a sense of, of joy, but it was just like this pressure had um, released from, from her and from the family. And they were able to, where the anxiety was once filling up all of their time and space and connect, like the connective tissue of their family. Now mm -hmm. it was, it was joy. It was going to Disney world and not having to worry that she was um, going to struggle. It was figuring out different ways to support her when things did get hard. And for her having, she had a voice in it, they had voices in it and um, they all worked really hard. And it really was like, they just let all this pressure out of the family and joy became their focus rather than, than anxiety. And it was, that was one of the, the coolest moments I think I've had. Yeah, that sounds really amazing to be able to like see in real time, you know, your work sort of take place and then be like, oh, like this was helpful and we can move on, you know, because I can see that a lot of that may be happening at home and not in your office. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, our sessions are, my sessions with families can be really tense and, and <laughs> really hard. 
Um, so getting moments like that is definitely, it's really cool. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you would say to yourself, like before entering family systems work that you wish you'd known, especially about eating disorders, I guess. Um, I think that, I think that it's just, I think I would just tell myself to be, to be ready to learn a whole new way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's part of why, um, a lot of what I do doesn't make sense. Like when people, um, talk about or ask me about the therapy that I do, um, they ask like, why aren't you, why don't you talk about feelings more? Why don't, why isn't that so important? And when I was going into grad school, that's really what I imagined I was, would be doing. I would be talking about feelings. I would be talking about, um, like people's problems and all of that. But really what I do is I talk about behavior and I talk about solutions and to get to, I'm a dietitian, not a therapist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I also couldn't just talk about feelings all day. No. And so when I get now, I've had to completely rewire my brain to look at human behavior and look at relationships in a completely different way. Um, it's really hard, but it's, been one of the most rewarding experiences to to learn the way I have do you feel like you look at all families differently now I look at I think all relationships differently now um I look at the way people influence people differently um whether it's couples in my office or um co-workers or my own families and relationships my own family and relationships it's um I see it everywhere Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet. So one last direction I wanted to go before we start to wrap up is just about how, you know, different disorders might work in, in family systems therapy, since a lot of times there's co-occurring conditions with eating disorders, right? And, and maybe yeah. those other conditions kind of come out more. Mm-hmm. Um, or you might work with a family that has no eating disorder at all, I would guess, another mental illness. So what is the difference between like working with a family that has an eating disorder component with those other co-occurring conditions rather than no eating disorder component at all? Mm-hmm. Well, I think this is a really tricky question because in a lot of ways, eating disorders and other mental health disorders have a similar impact on the family yeah. and they're, they're, they're not super different. I think obviously eating disorders have a medical component to them that is different um, and that can be really scary when that happens, parents have to go into survival mode to protect their kids, protect to protect their sick child and also protect mm-hmm. their other children. Um, and that makes a lot of sense, but then it, it's also really difficult for them to come out of survival mode when their child yeah. is not medically unstable anymore. Um, but eating disorders are very, very similar to other mental health disorders in that they become the focal point for, for the entire family. Um, and that re- it requires significant change by everybody because that symptom was used, the eating disorder was used to maintain dysfunctional relationships. Mm. Other symptoms like anxiety or depression, maybe self-harm that may, re- that may surface as, eating dis- as families are doing the, the family work and addressing the eating disorder, they may resurface, but all those symptoms do the same thing. They, they organize the family in one way or another. So really the way that I would go about addressing that is um, obviously safety is a priority and we would make sure that everybody is safe. But after that, we would stay the course, focusing on rebalancing parental authority and connection with each other and connection with their children in appropriate ways. 
um, parents and, and, and couples will have to figure out how to manage the fear and, and the anxiety um, that comes up when they watch their child struggle and they're stable. Um, and that can be a really daunting task, but that's where a lot of the change happens, whether it's the eating disorder symptom that's present or another one that surfaces during the work, during the process. It makes a lot of sense that you bring up that eating disorders have that medical component that adds a whole nother layer of like stress to the parents. Um, I pretty much only work with eating disorders when it comes to mental health conditions, because my other food people, you know, might not be any, might not be a mental health issue. Right. Um, so I, I, the medical part's just part of the course for me with all of those patients. But for you, that's such an interesting other level added for families to think about. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's definitely a contributing factor. And I think once a child is stabilized, you know, the eating disorder, the eating disorder controls so much of what parents focus on. Mm -hmm. So the things get stuck on that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Even when their child is stable and they're, they don't necessarily, they don't need all this medical care anymore. Parents do have all this stress and anxiety that the kid might need it at some point and Mm -hmm. it makes it really difficult for them to kind of get out of that, that headspace of, um, fear and really that fear and anxiety is just the eating disorder continuing to have a hold on them, continuing to have control of, of the dynamic and of the relationships in the family. And so that's often when we will talk with, I will talk with the couple in particular about how they're managing to support each other and work together um, to, to manage not just the child's care, but the way the two of them are doing as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I, I, now that you say that, I see that all the time with my clients of like, you know, if the kid ever went to the hospital or ever had like a severe medical implication from the eating disorder, it's like, they can't move past that, you know? Um, which obviously it was super stressful, but there's a time and a place to move on. Um, so my, my last question for you, uh, is just, you know, before we get to my very last question is, um, is what would you say to a family that's about to start family systems therapy and, you know, they are really nervous. They're standing at that door about to come in. Um, is there anything you want to say to just sort of calm them down? Um, I would say just to be open and honest, um, and, and take it slow. When I ask questions about behavior, when I ask questions about the struggles, what happens when you struggle, the, the most beneficial thing that families can do is to be transparent with me. Um, because that information is what's most helpful. Um, but I also know that's really hard and learning to trust me, learning to trust any therapist takes time. And so, um, I would just ask that they're patient with themselves, patient with me, um, and patient with the process because it can work. All they have to do is, is be honest and put in the effort. Awesome. So I ask every guest just what their favorite food is to wrap up. So um, what's your favorite food, Hannah? Um, My absolute favorite food is pizza. Okay. Any particular type? Um, I am. So I feel like this is a good food. Yeah, I'm actually, I I live in New York city. So um, I love that, that thin crust, um, well done 
just plain cheese pizza with my absolute. Oh, okay. No toppings, just cheese. Nope. I like to keep it simple. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Hannah. Uh, it was really great to have you on today. Thank you so much, Julie. I really, this was really awesome.